I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I won't
I, as long as God gives me the breath to breathe, we're going to stay that way. It may not be popular, but you know popularity didn't save me. The blood saved me. Whether I was politically correct or not, it doesn't matter. It's what the word of, if hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's what matters. Amen. Tonight, I feel a great debt, not only on my life, but a deep debt of gratitude for what God has given to me. I am thankful that I was raised in a spirit-filled, Holy Ghost-controlled atmosphere, tongue-talking people. Amen. Yes. Shouting people. Yeah, we still do that. <laughs> yes. Amen. When I see some of the stuff that they do to the, to the music of our day, I'm thinking, you know what? They're not going to have their fun and me not enjoy what God's done for me. I get my thrills when I come to church. Amen. God bless you for being here tonight. I have a message. I just pray God will help me deliver it. If you don't like the Bible, you're not going to like what I'm going to preach tonight. And I mean that. Some of you are going to get bored before I get through tonight, but I feel compelled of the Holy Ghost to deliver this word to you tonight. Romans chapter 1. Verse number 14. Romans chapter 1, verse number 14. While you're turning there, let me encourage the ladies. Tuesday night is a very special night for our ladies of life. If you're not familiar with that, see my wife or one of the other ladies around here and just ask them a little bit about it. It's an awesome time for our ladies to get together to study uh, the Word of God and to, to read good books together and pray and have fellowship and make connections that can make a difference for eternity. Tuesday night at Sister Callender's house. I would that you would pray. Sister Callender, her family is going through a very severe trial right now. Sister Terry Soames, many of you know her, been diagnosed with severe breast cancer, and it is very... Um, it's a very critical stage, and they're doing radical treatment on her. I think she's already had surgery, and she is uh, looking at a lot of tre- chemo treatments and so forth. Let's pray for that family. God would do a great work and a miracle there. Also, Saturday morning, prayer walk. Many of you have not been involved in that. It's a wonderful thing. I don't know how many of you remember, uh, if you haven't done this uh, you need to, but we, a few weeks back, put this out in the foyer, and these are prayer rocks, and maybe that doesn't mean much to you, but they've helped me. Uh, I picked up these when I come in here to pray, and they have your names on them, Brother, Gail, Brother Eddie and Sister Gail Leonard. When I pick that up, that's, that's the focus of my prayer. If your name's not on one of these, you ought to come tonight before service is over and put your name and your kids on there. If you have a special need, put it in there because when people come to pray, 
I'm one of them. I don't know about you, but I come by and pick up some of those and I just carry them around with me. And then when I can, I'll look at one of the names and pray over that. That's what this church is about. We're a praying church. Amen. I said we're a praying church. Amen. I'm going to get more of you on board. We're a praying church. The reason that we're here tonight is because somebody prayed. And so please be mindful of that. Saturday evening is our men's fellowship time, and we're going to have prayer for our men Saturday night. So come at 6 o'clock. I don't know what was announced previously, but 6 o'clock for a good time of prayer. And then Mother's Day, we're going to have a great day celebrating not just our mothers, but honoring our ladies. And it's going to be a wonderful day. My wife has gotten one of the greatest treats, uh, just an awesome gift that she has found to give to all of the ladies. You don't want to miss being here next Sunday morning. And then you'll have the evening with your family. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 14. The scripture says, I am debtor. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. The first three words of chapter 1, verse 14, I want to lift out tonight for my subject. Not something new but it is something that I feel deep in my heart tonight. I am debtor. Amen. I am debtor. Everybody said amen. Grab somebody by the hand next to you and let's pray. God, right now, I'm asking you to join the hearts of people together and unify us in one mind and one spirit. I pray, God, that you would bless tonight. And anoint my mind and my heart to deliver this word. Quicken my thoughts, Lord. Draw draw something from our inner being for your glory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Praise God. Wasn't that great worship? Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. This message began to formulate in my mind and heart. Well, I spoke with one of my closest friends just a few days ago. He was relaying an experience that he had had with, with uh, friends and family, a gathering that he had gone to. And he said as he sat and looked around the room at those who were there, he began to wonder what had gone wrong with many of them who at one time had lived for God. And when he said that, Something pricked my heart. Uh, Something stirred me. Members of the family and extended family and friends that were not living for God. And something inside of me, I don't even know how to describe it, uh, began to stir my mind. For I realized that the only reason that I am here tonight is because of the investment that people have made in my life. Parents, my God, I, my, my mother and dad have been gone for quite some time, but they, they, were, they were simple uh, 
earthy folks. They, they were not uh, rich by any means. As a matter of fact, we were poorer than we even knew. We just didn't know that. But there is one thing that my parents, both of my parents, instilled in me, and that was a love for God and a love for the house of God. I remember a time when my dad had gone away from the Lord and had gotten cold and was not going to church. But my dad, even when he was in that backslidden condition, would not let his children stay at home. He drove us to church and dropped us off, made sure that we were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Saturday, Friday, whatever the time or the day. They were there. My mother always. I lived for God because I had fear in my heart. At times I lived for God because I was afraid that if I didn't, uh, that uh, the wrath of God was going to fall on me. They put that there. It wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't uh, a way to manipulate my personality or my mind. It was just an understanding that they had of the Lord, that God is an awesome God, and he should be feared, not in the sense of being afraid of him, but standing in awe of him. And when you stand in awe of him, you are so impressed by his mercy and his grace and his goodness that it motivates you to want to live for him and serve him. I don't serve him because I'm afraid of him. I serve him because I love him. And that love has grown out of that awesome understanding that my parents instilled in me about this God who was so great and so mighty. A few weeks ago, I performed a wedding for Brother Eldon and Sister Nelda's son. And Brother Eldon's dear mother was there. And she was one of my first Sunday school teachers. When I saw her, I could not help but feel a deep sense of gratitude to that aged woman who walked into a Sunday school class of a bunch of rowdy boys and caught us climbing out the windows and brought us back into that room and began to teach us the Word of God. She invested time and energy over and over and over again into my life. Investing in me when I was not worthy of that investment. Investing in me when there was nothing evident by what they saw that anything good could come of that. But they continued to pour into my life the things that they felt and they knew were necessary for me to make it. Because of that life, because of what they were willing to do for me, I stand before you tonight. It is not because I am such a good person or I am so well balanced and so well behaved in life that I've done everything right. But in my lifetime, when I have come to those intersections where I could have gone either way, there played in the back of my mind the memory of lessons and things that had been given to me as a child. And I could not turn in the wrong direction, even though 
I was tempted at times to go astray. Because of the life they lived before me, it made me want to serve God. That is so important for me to say that to you tonight. It was because of the life that they lived before me that made me want to live for God. They didn't live sorrowfully or woefully. They didn't come dragging into church late, but they came rejoicing. They came impoverished as they were. They came to sing and shout and rejoice. I can remember my one-eyed dad standing behind the pulpit leading the church in their worship time. And he would lift his hands and he would praise God. And somehow watching him there, it put something in me to want to do right and live right because of what I was seeing in his own life. An old Irish man who was my pastor, W.R. Holly. He was a man that was not renowned for his preaching, but I can tell you that every time he opened the Word of God, he taught out of that book the principles of, of relationship and doctrine and principles of holiness. He was a man who could not even say the word Jesus properly. He would say Jesus. Now, I know if, if it was in the day in which we live, probably people would quit coming to church because the pastor had such poor language skills that he couldn't even say Jesus properly. But the greatest memories of my life are hearing him say, Jesus, Jesus. He would get up before the church and he would tell us, you cannot say that name from the depth of your heart three times without something erupting in your soul that wants to praise and magnify the Lord. And you know what? I found out he was right because I would begin to say it not from my mouth or from my head, but when I would really begin to say it from my heart, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. When that word would begin to flow out of me, something would begin to happen that I cannot explain. I never went to church without hearing the simple gospel. And when I look back, I realize that the reason that I am here today is because of them. Because of a woman by the name of Kessler, Sister Kessler. Her husband was an alcoholic. Most of the life that I knew her, he beat her regularly. But she never, ever missed a church service. She came to church knowing that when she got home, he was going to beat her again. She would step into that Sunday school class. She would open her Bible, and she would begin to preach those toe-headed kids that really should have been taking a bat to them, probably. They couldn't sit still, and they couldn't pay attention, but she would teach the Word of God. And when I look back over my life, I realize that the reason that I'm here tonight is because somebody, somebody, somebody stood in the gap and made up the hedge and they pointed me in the right direction. When I began to think about that, my life flashed forward. I thought, oh God, I can honestly say tonight that the reason that I'm living for God is because of my mother and my dad 
and my pastor and Sister Moore and Sister Kessler. The reason that I'm here, the reason that I haven't done some things that I probably could have done and maybe I was tempted to do, I wouldn't do them, I didn't do them, wasn't because there was something superhuman in me that could resist that, but there was something about their testimony and something about their witness that spoke to me and I didn't want to violate that. There was something in me that wanted to live up to the expectations that they had of my life. And when I look back, I realize the reason that I'm here right now is because of them. But then I look to the future and I wonder, God, if you tarry, will there be anybody that will ever stand and say, the reason that I serve the Lord was because I had a faithful pastor that preached to me the word of God. That I had a faithful pastor who stood without fear of favor. That the reason that I made it is because somebody cared for my soul. I wonder when I look at my own life, if the Lord tarries, will there be anybody that will say, the reason that I'm living for God is because of the life that you have lived. Oh, God, help me. Paul knew what it was to be a debtor. He knew what it was to feel an obligation and a weight, a weight upon him that was so heavy that he could do nothing but pay it. He had been such a hard case. He had been so adamantly opposed to this way called heresy. He had even crucified some and he had been part of the death of many of the early Christians. But one day on the road to Damascus, a light turned him around. And from that moment on, the Apostle Paul became a flaming evangel. His life was governed by one passion, that he could repay a debt that he owed for somebody that could love him when he was so unlovable. He said, I can do nothing but pay that debt. And if you will hear me tonight, the life that you saw him live, you saw him leading was because of that one principle that he was a debtor. And the life that we see him leading can be explained only under the principle that is set before us in our text. I am a debtor. That explains why to the Corinthians he would write, In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in death often, of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, and once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that were without, 
that which cometh upon me daily, the care of the church, the reason that I live the way I live is because I feel an obligation for what God has done for me and what he has invested in my life. And whatever it takes and whatever the cost may be, I must pay that debt that I owe. What does all of that mean? It means that Paul understood that he was not there because of his doings. I don't know who prayed for Paul. Maybe it were those that were dying while he watched them being stoned. Maybe it was Stephen that prayed for Paul. I don't know who it was that touched God for Paul, but somebody preached and somebody lived a life and was willing to give their life. And in so doing, it reached out and touched him and changed him. And he said, I, I cannot live any other way than how I am living because of the debt that I owe. And I feel like I owe a debt tonight. I have been given so much. I have been given so much. I owe so much tonight to so many people. I look over here and I see my sweet father-in-law. I didn't serve God and do right to his daughter because I was afraid of him. I served God and I've tried to do right to his daughter because I saw in him a life of gentleness and love and kindness and a love for God that surpassed everything. Even when his wife was so desperately sick, spent most of a year in the Mayo Clinic, he never failed in his responsibilities to his church. He never faltered in filling his post as an usher. A lot of people would have found an excuse to stay home but not Harvey Vickery. He was there every time the doors were open. When I first came to the family, I noticed on the walls and the doors there were scriptures that had been written out. And I asked my wife to be, I said, what, what does that mean? And she said, when mom was so desperately sick, we began to proclaim and confess the word of God over our house. And when God would give us a scripture in devotion, or a scripture that would touch our hearts, we would write it out and put it on the kitchen cabinet or on the refrigerator. I serve God tonight, not because I'm afraid that he would take a gun to me if I didn't, but I serve God because I've watched him through the years. I've watched his faithfulness. Even when his own health was failing, he still came to the house of God. Even when his eyes are dim, where he cannot see as he ought to see, he's going to find a way to get to the house of God. I don't understand some people that look for every excuse in the world to lay out and to do as little as they can do in serving God. I don't understand people that are trying to find a way around. When I look at what is reflected in his life, and when I see the glory of God that has been upon him, that's what I want on my life, and that's what I want on my children's life, and on my grandchild's life. I want the touch of God. I want the hand of God. I want the 
the mercy of God. And I'm not going to get that playing church. I'm not going to get that laying out and living hit and miss. I'm going to get it because I stay true to what I know this book has taught me. And that is my debt tonight. Oh. Oh. I am a debtor tonight. I owe a debt to this man and to many others like him. A debt to Mock Moss and Al Jones and many other of those great men. I see the Casey's here tonight. Brother and Sister Casey, some of the fondest memories that I have when I first came to life was working in the school and I got to pick up Karen on a school bus and bring her to school. I remember when you folks went through such a tragic time in the loss of a son. But I never saw them waver. I never saw them bow their head. I saw them come and lift up hands and worship and serve God. And they found ways to, to do the work of God. They weren't looking for a reason to get by unless they weren't asking the preacher, well, is that necessary? Do we still have to do that? Isn't that Old Testament? Are those things really needed? In the We live in a different day, Brother Hughes. I am thankful that there have been men and women that didn't look to the day to find their direction. They looked to the book to find their direction. They didn't listen to the conventional wisdom of the day. They listened to what thus saith the Lord. And it was that that governed their life. I feel like I owe a debt to people tonight who have touched my life. I owe a debt to this church because of the favor that God has put upon me. The obligation that I feel on me tonight comes because of the blessings of the Lord that have been on my life. When I think of just a poor, shy, ignorant kid growing up in the backwaters of the state of Texas, how God has put his hand on my life and allowed me to travel many parts of the world, not because I'm somebody great, but because he had just given me the privilege of serving him in so many different ways and areas. I am thankful for God's blessings, but that blessing can become a curse very easily. And if I'm not careful, I can get to the place where I feel like I've done this. I've, I've, I've accomplished this. And the truth is, the reason that I'm here is because of him. I've said it to you before, but I feel like that turtle that's on a fence post. If you ever see one, you know he didn't get there by himself. And that's the way I feel tonight. I'm here. I've been blessed. But oh God, the blessings that are on me tonight have given me an obligation to do right and to preach the word. And I feel compelled tonight to preach what I was preached when I was a child and preach what I was taught when I was growing up. I am a debtor to the people that have touched my life. But I am a greater debtor to the gospel message that has set my soul free. Amen. Amen. I was taught. Now these are the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach 
that you might do them in the land where you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons all the days of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it that it might be well with thee and that you might increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy mind and with all thy soul and with all thy strength. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in the way and thou shalt talk of them when thou walkest in the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand and thou shalt be as frontlets between thine eyes and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and the gates of your life. I remember my pastor standing and preaching the one God message of the Bible. Isaiah 44 and 8. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. And have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? You are even my witness. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Drop down, ye heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down their righteousness. Let the earth open, and let them bring forth salvation, and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. I was taught that there was one God, and his name was Jesus. Ephesians 4 and 6 I can remember many times, sometimes, several times a month, my pastor would read from Ephesians chapter 4. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I've heard him say it many times, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Not these three agree in one, but these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth. The spirit and the water and the blood. Repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And these three agree in one. There's one, one, one. One way to God. One, 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 one way to God. 
Yes, I am thankful that I grew up hearing without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in the glory. I was not only taught that there was one God, but I was taught there was one Savior. Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due season. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? And this is the record that God gave to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He hath, or he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. Revelation 7 and 9. And after this I beheld and lo a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, people, tongues. They stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palms in their hands. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne. And unto the Lamb, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you have crucified, whom God raised up from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here whole today. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which it became the head of the corner. And neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I am here tonight because somebody preached to me. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I was taught that there was one way to be saved. There was one way to be saved. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night, and he said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus heard that, and he said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. Amen. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You hear me tonight. That was not an experience that God relegated to some early time in the history of a church. It was the way to be born again. It was what he spoke of to Nicodemus when he said that a man must be born again. Later on in that same chapter, he said, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, what? That he had been elevated, that he had been made Lord and Christ, that he was Savior and Redeemer. They said, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I am so glad that my pastor was not intimidated by the doctrinal swaying of a world, but he taught me what the Word of God speaks to the soul, that you can be born again of water and of the Spirit. You can speak with other tongues, and the Spirit gives the utterance. You can have that kind of relationship with God. Oh. Hallelujah. 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 I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor. I've been given too much to go back on what this book has to say tonight. My pastor not only taught me that, that you had to be born again, but he taught me that everybody, everybody say everybody. Everybody receives it the same way. Acts chapter 11. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised and didst eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from beginning and expounded it in order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa, praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. A certain vessel descended as it had been a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me. Upon that which I saw, I fastened my eyes, and I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. 
But I said, oh, no, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, saying, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And this was done three times. And all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were three men already come into the house where I was sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go unto them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. A Gentile, and he shewed us how he had been, he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose name is Peter. Listen to you, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. Amen. Amen. And as I begin to preach, as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them. As on us at the beginning. How did it fall in the beginning? They were with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongue like as a fire. And it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. And he said, it fell on them just like it fell on us. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John, indeed, baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, Jew, Gentile, the same gift. Jew, Gentile, he has given them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody said, well, I believed on the Lord and I was saved and none of that happened. Well, you didn't believe on it like the scripture says because he just said right here, it fell on them just like it did on us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. What was I that I should withstand God? I'm so thankful that my old pastor would preach that even in the face of people that said that was heresy. He preached it anyway. You said, Brother Hughes, that excludes a lot of folks. No, it doesn't. It doesn't exclude anybody. If you want it, you can have it. He said, let whoever wants to come and drink from the waters of life freely. You're not excluded from anything. Sometimes you just have to humble yourself and say, God, if that's the way it's going to be, then that's the way it's going to be. And I receive it. I'm not arguing with God about what he wants to do in my life. And I am so glad that I had a red-faced Irish preacherman that would stand and he would wave his finger in my face and say, you must be born again. You must receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You must be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sin. Amen. I'm glad that he didn't let me get by with just saying that I believed. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. He said unto them, Under what then were you baptized? They said unto John's baptism. 
Paul said, Oh, John verily baptized with baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him that should come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. I am so glad that my pastor stood before me and reminded me many times over, you must be born again. I was glad that he stood before me, and when it was unpopular, he taught me that I was to be separated from the world and to live a holy and godly life. He would stand and preach, and he would read scriptures like this. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of the flesh. For as you have yielded your member servants to uncleanness, to iniquity unto iniquity, even now, even now, yield yourselves unto him. Yield your members as righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit have you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin, because of that, I have become a servant of God. And you are fruit unto holiness. I'm glad my pastor used that word often. That's a word that we don't like very much anymore. We don't hear it very often. As a matter of fact, I don't know of a denominal church in this city. And I'm going out on a limb. But I don't know of a denominal church in this city that you're going to hear the word holy or holiness very often used in the pulpit. But I'm here to tell you that in this book it says, Be ye holy even as I am holy. That when he called me, he called me out of darkness into light. He didn't call me to fellowship and to hold on and to maintain those things that I did in darkness. But he called me out of that. But you are un, be not you unequally yoked together was another verse he would often quote and read from. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness? You know what? I don't want any of our kids to be confused about what they should be doing and how they should be living. And I especially don't want them looking at me and then looking at this book and saying, well, you know, Brother Hughes, the book says this, but when I look at you, I see something different than that. I am thankful that when my pastor stood before me and preached, I could see in him what he told me was in this book. And when I looked around the congregation, there were others that reflected the same glory and the same beauty of holiness. What concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore? Everybody say wherefore. Wherefore? Why? Because he's going to be your God, and you're going to be his people. Why? Because he's going to... He's going to redeem you. He's going to save you. Why? Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 
Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, in all manner of lifestyle. My God, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And ye that have put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, for God hath not called you unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He said, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. When my pastor would stand and read that, it helped me understand how a man ought to live and how a woman ought to live in this world. In like manner also that women adorn themselves with modest apparel. Oh my, that's a shocker. I guarantee you're not going to hear that scripture preached from very often anymore. That women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness. That means without paint. And sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience, and the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becoming holiness. I now see that you're going to get quiet on me. You shouted when I preached about one God, but I'm here to tell you that the one God is a holy God, and he still wants me to live a life of holiness before him. Amen. Amen. The aged women likewise, that they be in a behavior as becoming holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to, be, to love their husbands. That's a great thing to teach them. And to love their children and to be discreet. Oh, that's even better. And chaste and keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. My Lord, that's a revolutionary thought. I don't even think that even comes on the radar anymore. That the word of God be not blasphemed. So that the word of God is not mocked. Young men likewise exhort to be sober minded in all things. Shewing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, shewing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech. I told you you weren't going to like this because all I've got is Bible tonight. But that's what my pastor would come to the pulpit with. He didn't come with cute little stories. He didn't come with some fairy tale. He didn't come with the latest statistic. He just came and opened the book and he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And that one God is calling you to a life of separation and holiness and the life of purity and love. One of, my, one of his favorite scriptures, and I'm almost through. I'm going to let you, just, you, you probably can't handle much more of this. One of his favorite scriptures was Hebrews chapter 12. He said, make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. Oh, God. Make straight paths for your feet lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. The word lame means weak. It's the same word that we would use speaking in reference to a child. When I look at my granddaughter over there, that's 
what this scripture was talking about. Lest that which is immature, undeveloped, would be turned out of the way. Make straight paths, but rather let it be healed. And this is how you do it. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. As unpopular as that may be today, I'm here to tell you that God still expects me to live a separated life. And you know what? It may empty this church. You may decide not to come back here Wednesday night because I've made some of you uncomfortable. I'm not making you uncomfortable to make you uncomfortable. I'm just trying to remind you that you have a debt that the book says. That's all I've done tonight is read you what the book says. I've not given you my philosophy about it. I've just read to you what the book says. Now, I don't care what the theologian says. I don't care what the latest, greatest Bible teacher. I don't care what the Bible answer man has to say about it. If it's contrary to what's in this book, I think I'm going to stay with the book and ignore the Bible handyman. I'm just here to tell you that you can't go wrong just simply obeying the simple truth of God's Word. And so tonight, I am a debtor. I am a debtor to preach repentance from sin. I am a debtor to tell you that you cannot find God without repenting of your sin. And I am a debtor tonight to tell all of you sitting here, as much as I love you, I don't want anybody in this building to be lost, but you must be born again of water and of the Spirit. Or you will not enter the kingdom of God. You're not going to come and just associate and come and rub shoulders with us. And God's going to say, oh, that's good enough. Come on in. You're going to have to submit yourself to this work and to this plan. I am a debtor to tell you tonight that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. And you can look from cover to cover. And you'll never find anywhere in this book where anybody was ever baptized in any other way than in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one name. And you take them down in that name for the remission and the washing away of their sins. I am a debtor tonight to tell you that you need the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost. You need to speak in other tongues that the Spirit gives the utterance. You don't need just a goosebump or two. You need the Holy Ghost to take control of you. The most unruly member of your body is your tongue. And when God can take control of that, that's a good sign. He's got all of you. Amen. I don't know why God chose that, but He did. And I want to submit to that. I want to tell you that you must live a separate and godly life if you're going to see God. Amen. Amen. I am a debtor. Callie, come up here, babe. Come on, babe. I know you don't want to. Amen. You're getting awful shy on me all of a sudden. You don't want to? All right, I won't give her. Would you come? Come on, baby. Nobody's wanting to come. I'm not going to make I'm not going to embarrass you. Come on, Austin. Come here, baby. I'm going to pick you up. 
Now, I know this is embarrassing to a 12-year-old, but... I'm only nine. You're only nine. Okay. <laughs> well, you will be 12 one of these days. When I see Austin, I wonder in time to come, if he'll look back on his life and he'll say, I'm serving God because my pastor taught me the truth. I wonder in time to come if he'll be standing where many of you are. Some of us may be gone. But he'll look back to a service like this and say, thank God my pastor preached about repentance. And he preached about the one God. And he preached about the Holy Ghost. And he preached about holy living. I don't want him to look back at this time and say, you know what? I wish I could have gotten a clearer signal. I didn't understand what he was saying. I want him to understand clearly what came to me as just a boy at his age. Austin, I was younger than you when God put his hand on my life as a five-year-old boy sitting beside my dad in a prayer room. The first time I ever felt the touch of God. And I began to weep and cry. I didn't understand and from that moment until I was 11, I started seeking for the Holy Ghost. There were people who came to pray with me, and they gave up. But my Sunday school teacher didn't. And the night I received the Holy Ghost, there were two people praying on the end of the altar where I was, my pastor and my Sunday school teacher. Amen. And I'm here tonight because of that debt that I owe. Austin, I owe you a debt too. Amen. I want you to grow up to love Jesus. I want you to grow up to serve him. And the same hand of God that was on me, I feel on your life. Amen. I want you to let God nurture that. I don't want you to ever be afraid to come to the altar. I don't want you to ever be afraid to lift your hands and pray. I don't care how many times you fail. I want you to come back to this church. I want you to get your eyes on men like Harvey Vickery and Leroy Long. Yeah, Charles Casey. Charles Hughes, get your eyes on men like that, that are unwavering. And when you look at them, you don't have to wonder. You don't get confused about their life. You see what they're doing, and then you look at the book, and you wonder what the contradiction is. Make sure you get your eyes on men that are stable. Amen. I love you, Bob. Praise God. Let's stand with God. have such a debt that I owe tonight. Some of you have a debt that you owe. Some of you, God has been so good to you in spite of the inconsistency of your life. He has continued to bless you. You can turn around for the future generations and you can make the end of your life better than the beginning. If you make up in your mind right now, you know what? All the way, I'm going all the way. If none go with me, I'm still going to serve him. Amen. I'm going to become the next Harvey Vickery. I'm going to become the next Lois Hughes. I'm going to become the next W.R. Holly. I'm going to become the next James Kilgore. 
oh God, tonight. If you should tarry, please, Lord, help me to live my life in such a way that when somebody looks at me, they're not confused at what they should believe. That when they look at me, they're not wondering where the disconnect is. God, when they look at me, they see a reflection of you. They hear the timeless truth, one God, the necessity of baptism, the necessity of repentance, the necessity of the Holy Ghost, the necessity of holy living, the necessity of faithfulness. Oh God. I pray for Callie Grace tonight and all the other children in this church that God, when they look around, they will see a consistent testimony wherever they look of people that are trying to serve you to the best of their ability so that as they begin to grow and develop a love for you, that they will not be confused but there will be a straight path. A straight path. Oh God, I feel such a debt tonight. A debt, a debt, a debt. I have been given so much. I would not be here, Lord. It were not for those. I am thankful, God, for those who stood the test of time. They live faithful to the very end. Thank you, God, for the faithful people that are in this congregation right now. Thank you for our elder, Sister Jones. Oh, Lord. When I see the faithfulness of this precious lady, my heart leaps within me. Oh, God, I've got to serve you because I see such a beauty reflected in her life. When I recall her precious husband who sat on these pews and loved the Word of God. Oh, he loved the Word of God. He was one of my greatest encouragers, Lord. He was one of my greatest encouragers. When I looked at his life, there was no confusion. There was only a desire to somehow live like that. To be that committed, to be that sold out. Thank you for Sister Madden and Brother Madden. Thank you, Lord, for their faithful service to this church and this kingdom. How many times, Lord, did I see them down to their last penny and yet faithful, faithful in their giving, faithful in their service. 
Lord, if their health provided them the opportunity, they were always in your house. Thank you, Lord. I owe them a debt tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the unnamed people that only our eternity will reveal that played a part in me being where I am tonight. God, I'm looking to the future now. I see a young man that's coming up in the ministry. I I see a Colby that's got the hand of God on his life. I see these young ladies that feel the call of the Lord on them. These young men that come to these altars night after night. I want to thank you, Lord, for their hunger, their hunger for you. God, I pray that when they open their eyes to look around to us older folks, that they see a consistent testimony that I'm living a godly life, that I'm living spirit-filled. I pray, God, that when these children open their eyes to look around, they see my hands lifted in praise. And so they mock me. They begin to pray like I pray. That when they look around, they're not seeing me with my head in my purse or my head in my phone, but they see me with my eyes closed and my hands lifted. They see tears rolling down my cheeks. That when they look around, they don't see me out in the foyer. They see me at the altar praying and praying with somebody else. But when these children come up, they rise up in age. They will find a great witness to the truth, the mercy, and the grace of God. Oh God, would you let that weight, that debt, Let it rest upon us tonight. So much so that it would cause us to change the way we live because we owe so much. We owe so much. Lord, that we would feel the weight of that debt and it would affect the way we conduct our life, our testimony, our conversation. If there's things in our home tonight that don't belong there, if there's things in our life that don't belong there, that we will come to an altar and we will get it washed out so that we can live a life that would reflect your glory, your goodness, your mercy. Oh, Holy Ghost, come down right now. Jesus, come down.